Blog Talk Radio. Today our topic is a case study. Lessons learned from a law firm disaster recovery. Joining us is Mark Norton, Continuity Planning Manager at Agility Recovery, a disaster recovery company that provides member access to the four key elements of business operations during a recovery. Space, computer systems, power, and communications. Since joining Agility, Mark has responded to more than 600 recoveries, ranging from minor disruptions to major region-wide catastrophes. Welcome, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Now, speaking of those 600 recoveries, I bet one of them was a law firm. Am I right? You are right. That is is a really (laughs) good guess. Yeah, we do offer a lot of services to service-oriented types of organizations, law firms being a great example of that. And in January of this year, and you can probably remember the, the winter that we had, we did have a law firm that got caught up in that and, and had to call for our services. Mm-hmm. And how many lawyers on staff, and like how big were they and where they located? It's a really good question. They were out of the greater Atlanta metro area um, with about 45 attorneys, and they sent a service that, obviously, greater Atlanta metro area, but also the south, southeast, so a relatively good-sized firm. A relative, okay, so they did have a disaster plan in place? And they did. How would, you, how would you rate it in terms of how helpful it was when you really got into the teeth of the disaster recovery itself? I think it was incredibly helpful. I mean, there's a negative connotation with the need for having a disaster recovery plan, but really it's the script that you follow when doing something new. It's kind of like that first time you got on a bicycle. You may not have had a physical plan there, but you probably had your parents or an older sibling there to kind of coach you and guide you through that experience because without going through it before, you were bound to make errors and mistakes. And that's what a plan can really service for a firm, but also any organization. It helps you kind of avoid those mistakes that is very natural when doing something for the very first time. So they did have the disaster plan in place. So let's get right to the drama of the disaster. Describe the the disaster for us. What really happened? Well, it was in January of of this year, and I think as we all know, regardless of where you lived, it was a pretty severe winter, just very low temperatures, a lot of winter storms going on. Now that you have the National Weather Service actually naming these storms, it's a little sensationalized. But nonetheless, one of these storms kind of came through that southeast area in the greater Atlanta area and did what happened to a lot of organizations, which was froze their pipes. So you really didn't have you know, an ice storm or snowstorm like taking down a city, per se, by dropping a lot of power lines and trees, but you did have a lot of infrastructure that was really experiencing things that had never been experienced before. You know, road closures, you had pipes getting frozen, and that's exactly what happened to this firm in their building. It is and one of and their, in an area... And this is a region that normally would not experience that kind of um, weather-related problem, am I right? Southeast exactly. I mean, you're yeah. more likely to get a hurricane effect in Atlanta sure. than you are something like this. Absolutely. And what it actually translated here is once those pipes froze, they started bursting. And that was it was like a taking time bomb. You could feel the, the nervous energy going around for people in really large buildings because you have, you know, tens of thousands of, of square feet of office space, you know you have pipes running in places that you can't see, and the likelihood of those being frozen was relatively high, and you just didn't know where the, 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 <laughs> the flood, so to speak, 
was going to occur. And unfortunately for this firm, it happened right above their suite. So again, an example of a disaster that we see that really doesn't happen in our members' physical space, but in their neighbor's space. And, you know, once that thing happens above you, obviously water's going to come down, and it came down right in their server room and and impacted the operations of their call center. Oh, okay. So let's talk through the course of action. You got the call. Your term, in terms of first responders for disaster recovery, you're on the scene, correct? Exactly. And when we get the call, most of the people that we work with are in some type of what we call a damage assessment phase where they're trying to understand what's happened to them and what do they need to get up and operational. But one thing that happened before they called us, which should happen every time, and sometimes it does, other times it doesn't, is ensure your safety first. And so they did that. They made sure that you know, all their employees were evacuated out. It's never fun to do an evacuation in January, but nonetheless, they went through some of those steps, called the fire department and all the necessary people to get on scene to kind of respond to that emergency. And then they realized what they were dealing with. You know, at first it was just cascading water coming through the ceiling, and then they were able to take a critical look at that and understand what was it impacting. And they saw that it was ruining some of their IT equipment. It was ruining the workspace. There are their call centers, so they started moving some of those things away, and that's when we got the call because they knew we were going to need this new replacement IT equipment. They knew that they were going to need to roll their phone lines over, and so they actually had some agenda items, more or less, that they needed to knock off the list. So when you got on scene, how did you help um, the disaster recovery efforts itself? Well, initially, when we coordinate our services, we do all that over the phone. And so over the phone, we're able to understand the, you know, the scope of the damages and how we were able to help them get up and running. And they made a really key decision early on in that process of identifying the need to go into what we call a recovery mode instead of exclusively a remediation mode. Because oftentimes the knee-jerk response is, well, let's solve the problem. And, you know, let's contact the telephone service provider. Let's contact the landlord and have them kind of soak up this water. And while that's a very important step to take, if you put that before recovery, oftentimes you extend the period of the disaster because those remediation services and companies aren't really positioned to respond, you know, 24 by 7, 365 at the drop of a hat. They're going to take time as part of their services. So when we were coordinating over the phone, we tried to understand what all was needed. And then when our personnel arrived, they were actually bringing the necessary assets for recovery, which in this specific example was the IT equipment that was necessary. And believe it or not, a satellite to be able to run their phone lines while this remediation was taking place with their telephone service provider, AT&T. Now, what kind of business continuity? Was there service interruption for how long? I mean, talk us through that. Yeah, exactly. So once you have the you know, IT equipment ruined, that kind of goes offline. And so right. it was a server that went down, and they contacted the manufacturer to order a replacement Oftentimes, that's a multi-day solution. It can take multiple weeks, depending on the particular server. So they had made that conversation take place and were kind of in waiting when our servers arrived in a 12-hour period. On the telephone service side, which was the other aspect of their firm that was impacted, they had a lot of damage to kind of the wiring, if you will, that AT&T had inside that building. And so they actually had to have AT&T come out and reinstall 
some of that wiring and make sure that the service was up intact. And that took multiple days. At, at that time, they didn't know how long it was going to take, and they kept getting answers from AT&T like, oh, it would take you know, 24 hours, no more than 36 hours. Well, <clears throat> 60 hours later, you know, they mm-hmm. still didn't have that service done. And so, again, fortunately for them, they didn't put that in front of their recovery. They went in and decided, let's recover first, and then if it takes 36 hours, Wonderful. If it takes 60, we're ready. Okay, so you just talked about an unexpected problem that you faced. Uh, did you handle any other unexpected problems during this recovery? I think that was really the key, and that's something that... that you know, exactly, and any firm can really take that into practice because the remediation always takes longer, it seems than expected. And so if you're getting that information, I don't think anyone's trying to be dishonest or oversubscribe over, uh, or sell their services, but it does take longer than they often anticipate to repair something, you know, like with the telephone service or, you know, extracting out the water, whatever the, the disaster may be, it takes a lot of time to overcome that. So not really falling victim to that is what we call it, not listening to that and being hopeful and optimistic and kind of waiting for that period to end, but instead saying, regardless of what that timeline is, I'm on my own agenda. I'm going to make sure I have these services up and running by this defined time. That can really be the best course of action that you can see. So in summary, what lessons learned can you share with us, as in don't let this happen to my law firm? Exactly. It's a great question, and and hopefully that's what we all arrive at as our conclusion. The biggest thing I can tell you is to have that plan, and I I call it being proactive versus reactive. You have an opportunity right now before the disaster happens to start having a plan that talks about your recovery options and gives you decision points in there so that when disasters happen, you're not falling victim to the emotion, to the stress, to the financial challenges that disasters bring along with them. But instead, you can reference back to a document and say, okay, I know I have this option for recovery. I know it costs this much to execute. I know it can be in place at this at such amount of time. And I know because I'm losing this much money that it makes sense right now for me to have this decision. All that can be captured and documented in a plan, and oftentimes people that don't have plans either have that information stored away in a few people's minds or really haven't thought about it before. So when the disaster strikes, trying to get everybody on the same page, trying to make decisions very quickly that ultimately help you lose less money, and that's kind of what this is all about, that can be very problematic or very challenging. So having that plan just provides clarity in a time of chaos. That brings us to the end of our podcast. Thanks to our guest, Mark Norton, for your expertise in disaster recovery. Mark will be a featured speaker this fall at ALA's Business of Law conferences coming to a city near you. Visit the ALA website, www.lnet.org, for more info. And thanks, everyone, for joining us.